Welcome to episode 218 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, my guest, Michelle G.I. Gardner-Ice. G.I. is passionate about helping women veterans and is a powerful force of change. She was the first black woman to reach the rank of colonel in her career field of services in the Air Force. She and I met when she attended the National Women Veterans Leadership and Diversity Conference in 2019, Her story was really powerful and left an impact on me, and we've been connected ever since through LinkedIn and seeing each other at different events while I lived in the D.C. area. This isn't a normal type of interview. We talked a lot about what G.I. learned from her experience, both from childhood of being a military brat and being in the military. So it's not so much of her story, but a lot of pieces of her story and I'm really excited to share this interview with you, so let's get started. Welcome to the show, G.I. I'm so excited. We've been trying to do this interview, I feel like, forever. Ever. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hey, so let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Well, story of a 17-year-old was that my parents went to Tuskegee, University. They met and married there. My dad was in the army for, you know, almost 30 years. And he said, if I got accepted into Tuskegee, I was going to Tuskegee. He said, because he was one of the very first Black Army Corps of Engineer officers, he said, and I was raised in an all-white environment, like high school, from birth to high school. He's like, you don't know who you are. You need to get back to your roots. You need to go to Tuskegee, which is a historically black college. So I was like, okay. He said, if I'm paying for it the first year, if you don't like it, you can go somewhere else. So I arrive on campus and they told me I had to take ROTC or PE, physical education, because some smart congressman said that if a school got federal funds, you had to take, all students had to take ROTC or PE the first year. So I knew what Army was like. I had seen him playing in the dirt. I had seen him like go on, we called it the field, but we would call it deployment now because this is back like Vietnam era kind of years. And I was like, "Uh -uh, I'm not doing that. So I bypassed the Army table and there was these beautiful Air Force women in their blue, light blue shirts and skirts. And they're like, wouldn't you like to sign up? It's fun. And I'm like, okay. And the logic of a 17-year-old was that ROTC was going to be easier than physical education. (laughs) Little did I know, and then I was in ROTC for one semester, absolutely loved it, and I ended up getting a -a three-and-a-half-year scholarship, and I said, oh, I'll just stay for four years and stay for 20 cents. So that's how it happened. (laughs) Kind of an accident. And my father never recommended. Like, he was shocked. He held his breath, like, what? Going the military, don't say anything. She might change her mind. Yeah, and I've heard a little bit of your background because at Women Veteran Interactive's conference, you talked mm-hmm. about like what it was like to grow up in that like all white environment, and like, I mean, I remember the story you told when you, all the kids got called in to play, and then they shut the door in your face. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, and yes, I mean, I still remember that, and that was years ago. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, you know, um, so my parents got married in college. So by the time um, my dad arrived, um, he went to his first station by himself. But the second one was in Germany. 
And I was about four, almost five years old. And we had just arrived. You know how it is. The kids are in the way. And you're like, go outside and play. Because in Germany, um, military housing is high rise, right? So, and the playground was kind of like in the middle with the squares of, of housing all around the playground in the center. And they had balconies. And so my, my parents said, go, go outside and play playground and introduce yourself so I've always been rather social so I'm like hi I'm Michelle hi I'm Michelle and I'm running to the monkey bars and the swings and you know merry-go-round and somebody's mom I'm gonna call her Susie that's what they call Susie's mom comes to the balcony on the fourth floor and she says everybody come in for cookies and milk the cookies just came out of the oven and all these kids started running towards the building and running up the stairwell for flights. Well, I didn't know where they were going, cookies and milk. Who's going to, you know, turn that down? And I figured, I'm going to go eat cookies and milk with everybody. So I run up the four flights of stairs. And because I don't know where I'm going, everybody's pushing past me. And I get to the door and Susie's mom says, oh, no, hon, not you. You can't come in. You've got to go home for cookies and milk. And, and you know what's so amazing about that story was that I knew I'd, I'd experienced things, but I, I recently, about the last year, went through some therapy. And that's when I really discovered and remembered the details of that story, right? Because many times things that are painful are really like pushed down. And I always wonder, my friends would always say, why do you want to include everybody, Michelle? Everybody can't go along. Now I know that's rooted in being excluded, right? Most of my formative years, I was the blacks didn't like me because I was an officer's kid. Because you think you were the, you think you're better than us because your father makes more. My father was at that time the only black officer on the post, and most of my years growing up, that's the way it was. And the whites didn't like me because I was black, so I was in this no man's land. And I think that's why military kids are so resilient. But now I know that, you know, that experience, I look at it like this, you know, although the door was closed, although I was last, the world's greatest Air Force allowed me to be the first black female to make, you know, colonel in my Air Force specialty services, you know, and that, and even though the door was closed, it opened so many doors of opportunity for me to have great experiences in the military and it gave me a passion to pull up, speak up and right wrong. And I, I and you know, sometimes we don't really understand why we're, why we're passionate, why we must do. It's not like you should do, we must do certain things. And so for me, that's why I'm so passionate about uh, women veterans, because I'm like, I've seen what we do. I mean, I look at you, motherhood, whether you stay in or even if you transition out, the skills we've gotten are so rich. I told somebody, I'll say this now, I'll be quiet. I told, I, I did a post on LinkedIn about a month or two ago and it said, it was an essence of about transitioning and LinkedIn was focusing on veteran transition. And what, what I said was the pure gold of hiring a veteran is not only our depth of experience, our width of experience, but the diversity of our excellence. See, we've experienced excellence in a very diverse way. More than, any, if you take one veteran 
you can put five years of civilian time on that. And we've experienced all kind of different situations, all different kind of people, you know, all different levels of resourcing at different levels in the organization. And that's what I don't think the civilian community understands is the diversity of excellence that we have. And that's why when we come into an organization, we want to win. It's not that we don't want to want your job. We're not trying to like make anybody look bad. We just want to be part of a winning team because that's what we've experienced. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And I love how you wrapped through your therapy, like how that experience shaped who you are today mm-hmm. and like why you're passionate. Because I think I'm so passionate about like helping people have a better experience in the military than I did because I didn't know a lot of things. Everything that I'm doing is like to help a younger me, you know, who experienced something. And so it's interesting, like how you want to include people because you know what it's like to be excluded. Yeah, yeah. And even I applaud what you're doing because, you know, if I had known, if I had had a person, if I had an Amanda I might have gone to the Air Force Academy. How about I didn't even know that was possible. I only ended up in the Air Force because my parents mandated I go to that school and it was mandated to take ROTC. Imagine had that not happened. I might there might have never been a GI because I even met my husband on active. So, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. How one piece in your adventure in your life experience leads you on a certain path. Yeah. yeah, it's so crazy. And the military is such a big piece because it changes like it every is. aspect. Like that's how I met my husband, too. And like how my life is. I was in the Today. same small town my whole life. <laughs> and now, you know, I've lived in all across the country and have such diverse experiences. So, yeah. And what a great spouse you are. I think you could probably attest to this, that it's um it's really great to have a spouse who's been in the military because they understand more, right? I mean, you know, and not that spouses who haven't been in don't understand, but it's a different kind of understanding. For sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, like, knowledge that comes through experiencing something. And I think a lot of spouses don't realize the challenges, like, the sacrifice they're making. And I'm like, no, I've done both. They're both really hard. And they don't give themselves enough credit or grace to realize, like, what they're facing is really hard, too. And, you know, it's so funny. And that means they're amazing and they don't know. Like, I look at my mom who my grandmother went to the third grade. My My grandfather only went to the sixth grade, right? But what's amazing is they worked to put her through college at Tuskegee and how this woman then met my father and she became army wife of the year for 1973 because her love of service, right? When she was in high school, she was a church secretary, you know, she sang in the choir. And so she, when she was at Tuskegee, she was in the choir. And so that, that spirit of service continued and that's what got her to be army wife of the year when there had never been a black army wife of the year. Right. Again. And that's what I tell people. I'm a, I'm, I come from a, a high, I used to say overachieving, but a high achieving family because there's been so many barriers broken. Right. And, and uh, Shonda Rhimes, I don't know if you know, she did Grey's Anatomy. She did a lot of these. 
she recently wrote a book and she called it FOD. You know how we love acronyms. First, only, or different. And I'm like, I love that because a lot of us are first in the military, right? Especially as women, we're first, we're only, and we're different. <laughs> how many engineers were there when you were in the civil engineering squadron or, you know, through your, your career? Yeah, there, there weren't very many. I got really lucky on my deployment because there were 14 PRTs, I think, and Ooh. there were two female civil engineers, and we were on the same PRT, which worked out wow. great, but the rest yeah. of them were all all males, and yeah. yeah. And I was attached to an infantry unit, and at the time, wow. women couldn't be in infantry units, so there weren't any women in that, and so, yeah, wow. definitely. But so you know what it's like to be a first to only and to feel different, right? Yeah, Even though your sure. skills are you know the same or better but you're different yep yeah, yeah and you yeah. have unique challenges as a woman so yeah. let's get back to your story and talk about what your experience you said you loved ROTC and you got a scholarship what was the rest yeah. of your college experience like for ROTC oh so funny girl just hilarious so I went to summer camp right and um Back then, they were pushing everybody into missiles. If you weren't an engineer, you weren't a pilot, or you couldn't qualify to be a navigator, you were going into missiles. So I went to McConnell Air Force Base to summer camp, and one of the tours for all of those of us who were going into missiles was to go down into a missile silo and stay down there for three hours. I thought I was going to die. I was like, and people are doing this for like 24 and 48 hours at a time, I'm quitting. <laughs> they can forget my scholarship. I don't want it, right? So I came back and I told my professor of aerospace science, who's just indoctrinated into the Tuskegee Hall of Fame, because we were the largest black cadet wing at the time, because it was mandatory, remember? Mandatory ROTC, so we there's many other schools who had as many cadets. And so I said, sir, Colonel Floyd, I can't do it. I'm too social. I, I'll die down there miles below, below the earth. He goes, hold on, hold on, Michelle. Don't, you know, don't quit. Let me see what I can do. And this guy, I love him to this day. That's why I, I still call him a mentor. He went and worked some magic somewhere and got me almost an unheard of non-technical scholarship. So literally, the influence paid for me to get a fashion design and business dual degree. I was like, people are like, you're kidding? The Air Force does that? I was like, well, God blessed me. So he went and I don't know how many favors he cut. He's like, Michelle, you have to go in the Air Force. We can't, we can't lose you. And he fought for me. And so that's how I ended up cross-training from missiles into services before I got my commission. It took about a year for him to work it, but he worked it. I'm like, sir, I'm not going in. If I have to go to my missile, I'm not going in. And so, you know, I graduated and uh, had my first duty station at Lowry Air Force Base. I love that you were like, I, I can't do this. Like, <laughs> I cannot do this. I, my husband's at his new job. He gets to mentor lieutenants and captains. And my husband's super introverted. So at first I was like, <laughs> how are you going to do that? And he spent like, almost he spent like almost two hours with one lieutenant talking to him and like he's been able to just give them advice and direction 
based on his time in the military and they have like no idea mm -hmm. and he's like oh you want to do that well you need to do this 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 and like it takes him like no time at all because he's been in the military so long and they're like really i can do that and so the fact yeah. that you had someone when you were a cadet who was able to like advocate for you and like work yeah. the system is just it's so impactful because you stayed in the military yeah there's only been six black females from my university to go through our air force rotc detachment and i'm number two so there's so many firsts and so many onlys like throughout my career and i didn't even know i was like breaking barriers until I did it and somebody came and told me I was like oh really it wasn't like I'm gonna go you know be the first or that, that was never like in my mind I was just doing what I was doing you know yeah I think that a lot of women experience I mean when I was deployed I knew women couldn't be in combat but I was in combat anyway <laughs> like, but no one was like no one said like hey you know you're not supposed to be here they just were like oh you're a civil engineer and we need you so you're here and I didn't question it right. and I didn't really understand it and then it's I mean that's what well, we we just did our job and what exactly. the military asked us to do uh, and and that's why women veterans are a national treasure You'll hear me say that. Women veterans are a national treasure. They are a top secret weapon. If you can get a woman veteran on your team and you put them in the right place, man, they're going to run circles around everybody. And I believe that people like one lady said, veterans always think they can do anything. I said, that's because we can't. And I believe that. Now think about it. We had to, we were thrown in situations. You were we didn't know how to do it, but we figured it out. We didn't, we, it might not have been a solo act, but we knew enough to find the right people to help us, to join us, to get that mission done. And that's something, and she had never served. And she was, surprisingly, this is so scary. She's somebody who helps veterans transition. And she's, I tell veterans, they need to stop saying that they can do anything. And I said, I get they need to narrow their job search. But don't tell them they can't do anything because they really can't. Yeah, that's yeah, really so, true. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I've been trying. My husband, as I told you, is getting closer to retirement. And he's been working on our garage. And he's, like, having a lot. He's like, I really like solving where the wires go. And, and I was like, oh, you could be an electrician. He's like, no. And I was like, okay, so we figured out you like to solve problems. Now your next career, you need to find a job where you're not managing people like you've been in the military. But you're actually... <laughs> solving the problems and so yeah he keeps saying stuff and then i i'm like oh I'm like you said this now we need to that figure out that. and you know what's good good about that though is you learn what you don't want to do i didn't know what i want what else I, I didn't even know services existed like right like in college but i just knew what i didn't want to do and when 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 they said oh you know services has aphis and deca and and I was like, oh, that's cool. That, that sounds, that's businessy. It's entrepreneurial, right? And so that's why I really enjoyed my career field because it was entrepreneurial. It allowed me to use my creative side and my business side. And so it was like a match made in heaven almost. Yeah, and it was kind of by accident, right? Because you, you didn't pick it. You just didn't want missiles. <laughs> exactly. Probably if they'd have said supply, I probably would have said okay, but they didn't. And I, and I have to give it to them at least. They, once I said I didn't want to do missiles, I guess because the Air Force is paying my scholarship, they're like, well, let's at least try to get her something close to what she got her degree. So it was, it was, it was, I had 
27 amazing years. I mean, there's not, you know, I can remember some bad bosses, but I don't remember them. I remember the great people. I remember the great opportunities. I remember the great successes, right? I, I remember women coming up to me and going, how do you get those guys to do what you say? Like, listen, and I'm going, I don't know. But I was raised by women. I came in in 1982. So I was raised by women who were old school. I mean, like, if you saw a female colonel, rare. She wasn't married. And she was mean. <laughs> she had a stern shit us. No, no, no. She was like this. Because she had to be that to be successful. I was taught, you don't cry. You don't cry ever. And is your husband sick? Is your child hurt? Is your mother dead? Your father dead? If not, don't cry. Go home. Go across the base. Go downtown. Drive in the back of a parking lot. Cry. Wipe your face and get back here. But do not let the truth or your boss see you cry. So it took me a long time even I'd probably say it's only been in the fi last five years, like even through therapy to, to show vulnerability, right? Because you had to be that way because all of the inappropriate comments, you know, that people would be court-martialed for or fired for, you, oh, is that a, you got one in the oven, huh? Like when you're, you know, one in the hair, like when you're pregnant, right? Or, oh, oh my God, there she goes, you know, that time of the month. All those things were common, unfiltered, not corrected. So the Air Force that we in the military we have now is much more, you know, conscious that those aren't appropriate things. But the era I came in, came up in, those things were accepted, you know, and the norm. I mean, it was in Korea, it was nothing to have dancing girls at the club because everybody was there single. No, either, you know, the location that was at. No, no spouses were allowed. So a lot of the, the things that, that females had to go through, women were seen in a certain way. And so you had to make sure you weren't seen in that way. So you almost swung in an opposite kind of side, right? To, to give that toughness, like, that that's not me. I'm not like that, right? And so respect me. And, and uh, you know, the other advice they gave is, you know, wear your hair the same. You know, all these keep your your personal appearance and your decision very consistent because men think women are emotional and we're up one minute, down the other minute. Over here, we can't make up our mind. We can't make a decision. And so I was taught to be very decisive, right? And so I, even to this day, I rarely change my mind because by the time I make my decision, I've already considered everything. And unless you inject some new form of information, I'm not changing my mind. But you know, I, I admire where women are now because um, that's one of the things Shonda Rhimes' book said. She said, when you're first, you're an only or different, you're creating second chances for the people that come behind you, right? But when you're the first, the only, you have to do it because you're breaking indoors, changing the norm and giving people and, and you know, just the, the environment a shock that it can be done and it's being done by somebody first, you know, other, only or different. So I loved her book. I got to finish reading it, but that real, that pod, you know, we love, we love acronyms, right? It just really resonates. 
Yeah, and I think you're really you're right. And I think as the military has changed, where women are allowed to be more themselves. But I know that I had to be different when I was in the military because you couldn't, you know, I couldn't be girly. Someone was like, exactly. "You're like so girly," but you were in the military, and I was like, "So?" Because it's not the norm, right? Did, did uh, was it a veteran that said that to you? No, that was another mom. Yeah, we were okay. at a mom event and she was like, you're, it was about movies. She's like, your favorite movies are like Captain Marvel and <laughs> Beauty and the Beast. And she's like, and I don't understand how that's possible. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm very girly and I love the military. Yeah. So I think yeah. Captain I Marvel does a great job of showing oh. like that scene where it's the end and like everyone's saying she can't do it. And then she stands up. I was yes. like crying in the theater because that like resonated so deeply in like my oh. experience. So that's like my favorite scene. Well, I, I would say that was that was my favorite scene. Like there's two movies, um, Black Panther number two and Woman King uh, that just came out. And and they both show the strength of women. But Woman King, you know, with Viola Davis, she said something that made me just Wow, it awakened my spirit that I I didn't even know. She said, a warrior must kill her tears because the whole movie is about a group of female military warriors. And one of the warriors was crying because of something happened. happened. And she said, as a warrior, you must kill your tears. And that resonated with me because so many times, how many times have we denied the way we felt? We ignored or dismissed something that happened, but it really cut us, right? We didn't show that it hurt on the outside, but it really did hurt us on the inside. It, it, it made us shrink back or it made us question our worth, right? Or our value. And we just kept going because we had to. We couldn't quit and say, I'm going home to mom, at least not that day. <laughs> um, and so... You know, I think now it's okay for women to cry and leaders to cry, men cry, but we're in a different era. But I still think, you know, the military taught me there's a place for crying. There's a there's a place for crying when, you know, I don't know if you've experienced losing a troop or an airman that's died, right? And crying, expressing grief with the coworkers and the family. That I think is is appropriate, right? But you know, turning it on because your boss gave you some negative feedback about your work. It's not the time to turn on the tears. It's the time is, at least in my era, suck it up, get the feedback, take corrective action and do better next time. Yeah, I remember the military was like the first time that I ever got like constructive feedback. And it was really hard to hear the negative things, you know, like, and now looking back, I feel like that was so valuable. And I worry that with being overly sensitive, sometimes we lose that because when I did evaluations, it was like one positive, one negative or two positives yep. and one negative. Yep. And I always focus on the negative and not the like positive and, you know, kind of forgot that everybody had to write a negative. But looking at the negatives, I found my evaluation when I was moving and it had all these like 
negative things that like I had grown over the past and they were all true. They were things that I needed to work on. But at the time I was like, why are people saying mean things about me? But it, it really has changed me as a person. And I think that's really an important aspect of the military. Yeah, right. I mean, military, that feedback helps us grow, right? Because it's like seeing a blind side that we can't see or a perspective that we may not see. When people give me feedback, even to this day, I always look at the source. Do they have a heart to help me? Do they love me? If they do, then I need to seriously consider, right? Because there are going to be haters that just want to tear you down. But I think, you know, at least the people that I try to surround myself with, and I think that's what's amazing, too, about the military is the community, the long-term community that we built, you know, the network is that those people love us and they knew us when. So if they're telling us something, then there's probably something to it. (laughs) Yeah. And when I was working on the final edits of my book, The Girls Guide to the Military Service, I had someone who was like, I don't agree with what you wrote about one of the branches. And I was like, okay, well, it's not Air Force. So you probably know more than me. And so I said, tell me, like, how can I make? And she gave me like, her critiques and we were able to incorporate it in the book and she said afterwards she's like I'm so grateful that you were like gracious and you know didn't get defensive and I was like well the book isn't for me like I want it to be better and so but it was through that criticism and the critiquing that I learned through the military that when I got feedback constructive criticism I was able to take it and not be like oh she hates everything I'm doing like she just didn't agree with it. And so we worked to incorporate uh, what she said to make it a better product and a better service for women who read it. I think that's another positive thing in the military. You know, the military is forward leaning in, mil- in many ways, right? I mean, in diversity, remember, you know, the military was the first to desegregate, right? I mean, so it's been a leader in diversity. We may not always agree with how they did that, but, but they have, uh, it has always been on the tip of the spear in the form of diversity. Um, You know, the second thing is, I think the number of female generals that we're seeing promoted, and you know, they're they're whispering that we may get our first female chief of staff coming soon since Joan Brown is being possibly considered for the joint chief of staff. I saw that in an article. Who would have thought? That's just there, and this is what I tell people. When women are in the military, there aren't CEOs. There are more female four stars and generals than there are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And these women are running businesses, resources, people on a global scale, equivalent or that surpass their civilian CEO equivalents. And it's high time America realizes that. And that's one of the things I think that's best about the military. Where in the world? is a little black girl from Georgia whose grandmother went to the third grade going to get the opportunity to run a $1.2 billion operation, have 7,000 people work for her in 87 locations, five countries, and two states. It ain't happening. Only in the greatest Air Force in the world. Only. And that's what I love about it, you know? Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, like, the women who were colonels that you very rarely saw they yes. were single and they didn't have families and the military's changing. And now like generals yeah. have families. So, so what was, 
that like to like you got married and you were a mom so what was that experience like Well, I was a rebel. When I had my first kid, when I had Brianna, she's 27 now, I had 400 people working for me. I was a squadron commander. And everybody on the base had never seen anybody that senior. I was different, right? And I was the only senior commander, like, who was pregnant. And they were like, are those your husband's BDUs? Are those Hannity BDUs? And that's when I heard, oh, you're not one in the hangar, huh? You know, all those crazy comments that you would hear. But my husband and I had had two miscarriages before we had my daughter. So when, when we found out we were pregnant, we weren't giving her to anybody. We weren't like, oh, we got to work. Hey, neighbor, take her. Or, you know, we weren't calling mom. My husband, every time I said, I need to call my mom, he goes, no, I got it. Right. So when my daughter was born, he was in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, deployed. And they let him come back for three weeks. He came back a week before she was due, stayed two weeks after, and then he went back to Guantanamo Bay. And so here it is. I'm, you know, just had a baby. I'm running a squadron. And I tell my boss, hey, I think we should bring a reservist in to run the squadron while I'm on maternity leave. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. You can run it from your house. They can come to your house and do staff meetings at your house. So my staff used to come to my house on base once a week, and we'd have staff meeting around my dining table. This is like crazy. I got to write a book about this. Second of all, because my husband wasn't around, I had a playpen, a microwave, and a refrigerator in my office. Like people would walk in and I'd be like, yeah, I would go pick her up from daycare I would bring her back. I would warm up her baby food, feed her, put her down for a nap while I finished work. Or she would play in the playpen with her, her toys. And this is the amazing thing. Another female colonel who's the chief of staff at the Air Force Academy now, she's retired. She taught me how to be a military mom. I met her at a conference and we were both pregnant. She was on her number two and I was you know, it's my first. I'm like, girl, how do you do it? I don't know. This is going to be crazy. She was a commander, too. She, she taught me to do meal prep before meal prep was meal prep. I cooked on Saturdays and Sundays, and I warmed up for the rest of the week, right? Or I took out of the freezer for the rest of the week. I took my daughter with me, TDY, and my son with me, TDY, up until they were in kindergarten. I, I wasn't into homeschooling, couldn't do it. So I would fax paperwork to the childcare centers. And so when people were leaving conferences, going to the clubs and to the bars and restaurants, I was going to pick up my kids and we were going to Chuck E. Cheese or we were going to the zoo or we were doing some to the park or something like that. And to this day, they both love to travel. They just got back from Paris, Milan and London. Their birthdays are like, they're 25 months apart. So they're almost like two year twins. So they traveled didn't ask for one dime, didn't ask to help any planning. And they planned, went and stayed a week and came back because they love just that exposure, I think, to traveling early. They loved it. I remember, I'll never forget, I'll tell this quick story. My boss called me to the dining facility after hours, something was wrong. And I was like, okay, I got my daughter. I'm not going to tell him I can't come. I don't have time to find somebody. 
he's like, I need you to get over here right now. And he was single and he wasn't single. He was married, but childless. They couldn't have children. So I tell people, people who don't have kids have a whole lot more mental capacity because they don't have all this other stuff. So he called me about something and I said, okay. So I strapped my daughter on and I've got my daughter like facing out like this. And I show up, he's waiting for me at the door. And I show up, he looks at her, he looks at me, he looks at her, he looks at me. And I'm like, sir, yes, what do you need? And, uh, so, you know, and, and I think what saved me was we were excellent, right? My squadron won best in the command. We won best lodging, best food. And I think it was, my desire to prove to everybody that you could be pregnant, you could still lead and be a great mom. And, and I tried my best to do that my entire career. My husband and I balanced things a lot, you know, off and he would pick them up or I would drop them off or vice versa. And we just worked it out, you know, but, um, but yeah, those early years were tough. Oh, I'm sure. And I love that you mentioned that someone else like came alongside you and helped you in mm-hmm. a time where there weren't very many people. I yes. interviewed Rojan Robenthal and mm-hmm. she wrote a book, Working Moms, How We Do It. And it was like yes. all the advice that she had from her experience and a way to pass it on because we do yes. need that support, especially in the military. It's a unique experience that yes. is challenging. And I think she just gave me permission, right? In addition to techniques, she gave me permission to be different, that I wasn't going to be like a non-military mom because of my commitment to my country. And so I had to do things that were different, that were in the best interest of my, my children and my family. And as long as it didn't hurt anybody and, you know, I was getting it done and the kids were happy and the mission was accomplished, so what? And I, I I don't think if she hadn't given me permission, I've been probably crazy trying to be my mom's mom, right? We can't be our mom's mom because our mom was never in the military. She might have had a job, but she wasn't in the military. So, yeah. Is there anything else from your time in the military? I feel like this has been, I mean, normally it's more about your career, but I just know you have so much wisdom and I've really loved mm-hmm. the way this conversation uh-huh. went. But uh-huh. is there anything else that you wanted to highlight or talk about before I ask my last question? Sure. I just want to say that I really tried to incorporate my kids and my family and everything I did. And I think, again, like I said, that started with permission. But once I had permission, I didn't stop. You know, my kids know what it's like to eat a four-star dinner. They know what fork, what not. Because when we went to all these graduations and these banquets, I said, we'll have three meals, four chairs, divide the last meal. So they would go with us all dressed up in tie and dress and everything. And they would sit, but they would have an adult meal and they would share it. But what it taught them in a very, I call it safe environment, right? Non-threatening was to operate in that formal environment, know how to be children, but yet be adult-like, when to be quiet, all of those things. And people always admire how polished they are. But that started, I think, because we, again, because of my experience of having uh, two miscarriages and we were older, I felt like these, this, this wasn't something we were just doing. It was like everything was going to be about the children. And so a couple of things that are really funny is I used to go visit the troops in, the, in jail. And so when I was the deputy base commander at Hanscom, 
I would take them with because I thought it was a great lesson in life. And I said, you see these guys here? I said, they're big kids who didn't learn to listen and do when they were young. Do you see how important it is to listen and do? But guess what? We never had problems with them in the legal system because those moments were impactful, teachable moments. And what I learned is they just wanted to be with me. They just wanted to be with my husband and that it didn't have to be some expensive thing or something. And so they spent a lot of time with us at work, you know, watching videotapes or CDs of Barney and all the Disney movies while we had our computers there working. And they loved that. And they knew at the end they were going for lunch or for ice cream or, and there was a treat, but they didn't think it was bad because we included them. And I think that's something that I don't think there was, I, we decided not to create a separation like, okay, you're, you can't be involved. Mommy's got to work or daddy's got to work. No, we're working. You're doing, you're practicing your letters or numbers or doing your homework. Mommy and daddy are doing the same. I think that and the military community was generous to us. I mean, when my husband wasn't there, women would kick their husbands out of bed and say, you know, Brian's not there. Get over there and shovel Michelle Snow and her driveway. That military community you know, and then they would come and stay when we'd have a recall at three, four in the morning with the kids without me asking. And I think that is something we talk about the military community, but there's just all those little precious moments of where they just show up. They just know and they're just there. And I think that can't be replicated in many, many other communities. I love that, how you included your kids, because I think the more that they can experience as kids and be a part of things, like it opens doors yeah. to conversations and yeah. just to seeing life. I always like to end my interview with what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering joining the military? Go Air Force. And I'm going to say this. I always tell people the Air Force is the best service for women. And I will not deny that because, you know, not that the other services aren't you know, good for women. I think all of them, serving your country is great. But what I liked about the Air Force is I allow, I was allowed to keep the majority of my femininity, one. That's what I truly loved. And two, I think that um, because we are, you know, the other services call us the chair force, right? Like we're the most corporate, uh, you know, parallel service as far as when you look at all the military service, we're the one that's probably closest to corporate. So that's why they call us chair. But I think our skills are translatable and, and there's less difficulty doing that. And so my vote is the world's greatest Air Force has, you know, allowed me to have tremendous experience. I mean, tremendous. And I loved every single moment. I mean, even the bad, I look back and realize it was good. It made me better. It made me who I am. It made me love all kinds of people, learn to give people grace, right? And not be perfect and judgmental and to realize, you know, there's one thing I do want to say. If you ever get the opportunity to be a commander and come in, go to college first. I would definitely say that. And if you don't want to stay, stay in the reserves. That's the second thing I would say. But, you know, really, sir, I think everybody should serve at least two to three years. That's just, I think what you get and what you learn about yourself and the respect for this country and for veterans. Um, but go Air Force. That's number one. 
or Space Force? Yeah, I don't know enough about it yet. I, I mean, <laughs> I know it's there, but I don't know enough about it. It's funny because a lot of Air Force people say that, go Air Force. And I think it's funny because, I mean, some Marines say go Marine Corps, but you have to be tough. They always have a but into it. But I think that's funny how many people are like, oh, join the Air Force. It's the best. <laughs> yeah, even, even other services say that. I mean, because it is. But <laughs> you have to find the right branch for you and your personality and what yep. you're looking for, like what you want to get out of it. So it's picking the right branch is really important. So I have well, thank had you. such a great time. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I'm really excited about future. And I'm just glad we yeah. got to do this interview. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode and I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service and so the first is my new book A Girl's Guide to Military Service which is available at the link in the show notes on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can go check it out. It's A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career. And if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor, please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program, which is also linked to in the show notes. You can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.